Kynes leaned across the duke to peer into the distance. Paul and Halleck were crowded together, looking in the same direction, and Paul noted that their escort, caught by the sudden maneuver, had surged ahead but was now curving back. The factory crawler lay ahead of them, still some three kilometers away. Where the duke pointed, crescent dune tracks spread shallow ripples toward the horizon, and running through them as a level line stretching into the distance came an elongated mountain motion, a cresting of sand. Reminded Paul of the way a big fish disturbed the water when swimming just under the surface. Worm, Kind said. Big one. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Lit to Lens podcast, a safe place for folks who liked the movie better than the book. We are recording this on Sunday, November 7th, 2021. And we want to welcome you to our 10th season. Congratulations, Eric. A decade of knowledge. Yes. And where we'll, we will be discussing our third installment of Oscar bait. So potential Oscar nominees for Best Adapted Screenplay. Um, and today we are discussing episode one of that season, which is Dune. Dune! Yeah, we just need a big, like, uh, dramatic Hans Zimmer, just like, score drop right there right there i'm gonna i'll i'll steal it and then put put it in there hopefully we don't get copyrighted but probably so with me to talk about the adaptation is the spice addicted worm riding and the lisan al gaib himself eric maldib eric say hello fear is the mind killer will is it yes (laughs) the spice must flow the spice must flow fear is the mind killer um be mindful with your thoughts that's a star wars thing but similar yeah similar same vibe star wars was you know inspired by dune so that feels fair yeah to say that i do like fear being the mind killer though i think that's a yeah i wrote that down you, I, and now I, I can't stop saying it <laughs> it's your number one quote from the from the book in the movie so we're gonna get into fast facts here the book obviously called dune was written by frank herbert and published in 1965 as a novel but the serial was uh published or serials serialized serialization right is that right yep of the book uh of the short stories were published in analog science fiction and fact magazine beginning in 1963 friend of the podcast friend of the pod analog so science fiction in fact yeah so shout out trevor quatry who we did the interview with uh was it last year it was during that was COVID. one of our yeah the first covid episodes yeah so i think go check it out i think it's episode 27 uh if you want a little bit more background on that information um, and it, the, the book Dune is the winner of both the Hugo and Nebula Awards for Best Novel in 1966, uh, has sold almost 20 million copies wo- worldwide, and largely considered one of the best science fiction novels of all time, and considered also one of the most influential books ever written. So It's kind of like the sci-fi Bible. There's so much religious stuff in this text that, uh, you know, some might argue that it is actually a Bible. Yeah, uh, yeah honestly and so like if if you ever talk to anybody like oh what's a science fiction book that you should read dune is usually like one of the most recommended do you think dune like lovers of the book are the kind of like annoying like like are they like annoying people or like oh my god dune you have to read dune kind of thing like if you don't read dune like don't talk to me probably the dune heads dune heads yeah Yeah. (laughs) probably Uh, they probably are there probably are some of them it's probably between like that foundation I was going to say Solaris, but probably not Solaris. Hitchhikers, maybe? Hitchhikers, yeah, Hitchhikers. Probably, uh, yeah. That seems like more of an eccentric crowd, right? Wheel more of time. More of the funny, funny people. That's more fantasy, but yeah. could be thrown in. 
But yeah, they're probably assholes. Yeah. Oh, there's so, a bunch of Dune books, right? Like, this is... Yeah. We're, we're talking about the first Dune book. Yep. Um, but Herbert there, wrote, yeah. like, four or five others. Yeah, and his son also wrote a few of them. Yeah. After his father died, so... And there is a prequel as well. I can't remember what it's called, but... So it's sort of like an Orson Scott Card, Ender's Game yeah. situation here. Yeah, But yeah. just bigger. Dune would be bigger. Shout out Ender's Game. We should... That should be a pod. I have an idea for a, another season coming up, which is just, like... Well, I guess this... Maybe it would fit, but, like, classics of the Little Ends genre. Like, when you think of, like... The top um, mental end joints of all time. What would they be? Maybe not adaptations. Ender's Game might not be on that list, but the yeah, movie was not well received. Yeah, but probably could have fit in a YA season. You think it's YA? Well, it's definitely YA, right? Because Ender the, is a kid. I guess yeah. He's a young adult. Shut up. <laughs> so, and then the movie uh, premiered at the Venice International Film Festival September of this year, uh, directed by Denis Villeneuve, who also directed Blade Runner 2049, Arrival, shout out another Little Ends joint, Sicario, Enemy, Prisoners as well. Um, and then screenplay was written by John Spates, who also wrote Prometheus, shout out Prometheus. Uh, Eric Roth, who might be the GOAT of screenplays. I was looking at his films, and we'll go through it later, but like, there's some big hitters on there. Um, and then Villeneuve himself, who also wrote Ensemble D and Polytechnique before he became like an English directing, English speak. English language director, I guess. Okay. Is that the right terminology? Sure. Um, sure. A quick aside on Eric Roth. I believe he does not use Microsoft Word. He uses like a like very beginner, like 1980s word processor to write all his scripts. Really? Still? So, yeah. I think he's yeah, I think he's like in his 70s or 80s. That's So weird. he just bangs him out. He's got no Twitter to distract him. Mm. He lives a very like nice... Analog. Uh, analog existence. Yeah. Which I think we all... Um, Pine, opine for it for I, some level. Opine, that's a great word. I don't think that's the right word. I think we... Oh. Because that's like speaking. We wish for it on, on occasion. Uh, you could have fooled me, honestly. So Eric Roth, he, he wrote uh, Forrest Gump, The Insider, Ali, Munich, Good Shepherd, Curious Case of Benjamin Button, A Star is Born, just to name a few. And he's doing Killers of the Fire Moon. He's got so, range. A future Little Ones yeah. joint. Um, anyways, back to the regular scheduled programming here. So the film stars Timothy Chalamet, Rebecca Ferguson, Oscar Isaac, Josh Brolin, Stellan Skarsgård, Skarsgård, uh, Zendaya, Jason Momoa, and Javier Bardem. Rotten Tomatoes, 83%, Metacritic, 74 So pretty well received. Um, but yeah, let's get into the recap. You've, I feel like people... Sorry. Pre, prior to the recap. Um, I feel like people were made upset by this movie being a part one. Why? Like, I feel like they went into this being like, oh, this is going to be a whole movie. And then, it, like, on the screen, it was, like, part one. And they're like, oh, my God, yeah. part one. Do you think, so, like, we knew this was going to be a part one. Because we're, we were, we were reading yeah. this and thinking about this beforehand. Mm -hmm. But do you think this movie would have been better served to just be, like, Dune? And then the Dune 2 could have just been, like, you know, the Messiah or whatever. Like, Star Wars was a new, like, it was just Star Wars. Yeah, and yeah, the yeah. second movie was Star Wars colon something else. And then they revised the original Star Wars to be Star Wars colon New Hope. Yeah, part one feels kind of uh, uncreative. Was right? it, I, my question is, like, is it, do you, do you think people felt, like, cheapened? They're like, oh, this is only part of the story, so I can't love this movie five stars because it's not the whole movie? Um, yes and no. I think that's a, I, th I do think that is, like, a viable uh, criticism to have because it's like oh shit i didn't realize i was signing up for two movies right usually like in lord of the rings it's like announced as like three movies and then you film them all at one time and like harry potter it's like we're gonna do all seven no matter what 
this one was a bit different because of the pandemic. It's like, we need to see how well this does before we announce the second one. But it was always filmed as half the book. Yeah. So it's it was announced in, you know, interviews and stuff like that. And the, the leading up to it is like, this is only half the book, FYI. But like, it wasn't marketed that way. So it's probably on the marketing team, but it's also not their fault because they didn't have the funding for the second movie yet. So it's like, this might just be... <laughs> you yeah. know like the half of dune essentially yeah um which could have been the title in and of itself but it is interesting to think through like movies typically are a full book one one movie equals one book yeah whereas tv you could do season one could be like three quarters mm. you could finish off the first books like get into the second book season two whatever right right, right. So. but since it's a, such a large source material i do think it, it you know we can get into this later but probably should have been done this way and I just, we watched, I think we've both seen the 1984, 1984 version, David Lynch version. And we're trying to do the full thing. Yeah, which is just, you know. It's a lot. Um, but I'll, let me tell you about the story in case you're unfamiliar or haven't seen it. Um, and we'll, we'll probably get into spoilers here. So if you haven't seen the movie, you should seek it out on HBO Max mm-hmm. or preferably in uh, a movie theater. Yes, because as long as you're safe. It's, it's really, it's a big, wide movie. So yeah, um, experience it. Try to do IMAX if you can, because I think IMAX is probably legit. Yes. So, Dune is set in a distant future in which noble houses control planetary fiefs. In the beginning of our story, House Atreides accepts stewardship of the desert planet Arrakis on behalf of the Emperor, displacing the currently ruling House um, Harkonnen. Arrakis, also known as Dune, is an inhospitable and sparsely populated desert wasteland. However, it is the only source of melange, or spice, a drug that extends life, enhances mental abilities, and is a necessary ingredient for space navigation. Because Arrakis is the only place that spice can be produced, control of the planet provides unimaginable riches and danger. Um, In the book's 800 pages, the novel tells the story of politics, religion, ecology, technology, and empire as control for the planet Arrakis is up for grabs. Oh my god. That was a great recap. Yeah. Um, there's a lot going on in this book. It's like you mentioned 800 pages, but um, it's pretty full. Yes. Lots of different themes, not just a sci-fi story. Um, there's a lot else going on, like Eric just mentioned. So there's a lot to dive into. We won't be getting into all of it today, but we will try to tackle as much as we can. Can you imagine if we got into all of it? It would be a... Like a seven hour episode. Yeah. Which nobody would listen to. No, I don't think. I don't think we could do seven hours of interesting podcasting. No. <laughs> Seven straight hours. I think I would probably leave halfway through. Yeah. I think my voice would give out. I don't have a very strong voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And after that much talking, I think my vocal cords would just, just collapse. Yeah. Yeah. That would not be good. So, uh, favorite game. We're going to change it a little bit. Usually two truths, one lie. But because it's such a big book and such a big movie, we're doing four truths, one lie. So, you got to pick out the lie. It's a jumbo. Yeah. It's a jumbo. I thank you for reminding me because last time we played this game, I picked out a truth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we play it so often that we forget the rules quite yeah. easily. I was like, oh, no, I got the truth. Yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah, five statements, four true, one lie. Yeah, correct. Um, number one, the inspiration for the original story of Dune came from the sand dunes of Oregon. Number two. Tom Holland was originally considered for the role of Paul Atreides before Timothy Chalamet. Unbelievable. <laughs> is this just like a, a dig at me? No, I mean, oh, this God. is potentially a truth. Also potentially a lie. Um, number three, copies of the first edition have sold for more than $10,000. Uh, 
Um, number four, J.R.R. Tolkien refused to review the book because he disliked it with some intensity and thought it would be unfair to Herbert. And then number five, in the failed adaptation from Alejandro Jodorowsky, Salvador Dali, the famous painter, was cast as emperor and later demanded to be paid $100,000 per hour, to which Jodorowsky agreed. Um, the adaptation would have been filmed as a 14-hour movie, with Herbert describing the script as a, quote, phone book. Eric, where is the lie? That These are great. Um, the last one, the Jodorowsky, there's a famous documentary that I have not seen called Jodorowsky's Dune. Um, so if you're interested in the story and haven't seek that out, you might seek it out. I might seek it out when we're done with this. Yeah, me too. I heard it's an, it's an interesting um, artifact. And in that documentary, it might tell us whether or not Salvador Dali was considered for emperor and what his going rate would have been. Yeah. So for that, I don't I don't know. But I'm marking it down as a, as a possible truth. Mm-hmm. Um, the Tolkien thing is kind of funny. It seems like kind of nice of him to be like, I didn't really like this, so I'm not going to review it. That's a, I'm doing you a solid. Right. Maybe they knew each other. I don't know. Um, copies of the first edition for more than ten grand. I could see that. This is one of the top-selling sci-fi books of all time. I think you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, could be true. However, because it was serialized in our friends at Analog, by our friends at Analog, maybe would the actual like magazine be more valuable than the book that mm-hmm. they stitched together? I'm going to flag that one, Will. Um, Tom Holland is and continues to be the worst. Uh, inspiration originally came from the Sand Dunes in Oregon. Don't know where Herbert is from. So, possible. I'm going to say that... Don't overthink it. I'm going to... I Because it's you, I think that the lie is that Tom Holland was considered for the role of Paul Trades. I do think Tom. there's something to be said about Tom Holland as like a like a physical being like physically i don't know how to say this without it sounding strange it's all right i think tom holland's physicality would be better for paul atreides mm. than little chalamet's mm-hmm. is so i kind of like that i think tom holland is a bad actor so i will um, I, I will put a nugget in here zendaya and tom holland are a couple right so she was also in this movie she probably was like, I can't work with my boyfriend all day, every day. I get enough of him, just like, in general. <laughs> I need some side Timothy Chalamet. Yeah. Although I think Timmy is kind of weird. I'm going to say that Tom Holland was not originally considered for this role, just because I like to say that Tom Holland is bad, and you think he's good for some reason. So this feels like a troll move on your part. So I'm going to say that is the lie. You are correct. There we go. <laughs> I don't, I would not say that I like Tom Holland. I just like that you hate him. He's not like somebody that I seek out movies of. I haven't even seen Cherry yet. So. No, well, that got bad reviews. Yeah, it did get bad reviews. Because um, we, we circled that for a little end, but we, yeah. we missed on it. Um, I like him as Spider-Man. I'll say that. I just I just don't think he's good in any other movie he's been in. He's very macro. He's very like... He's doing like that Uncharted, which seems like a very studio. Yeah, with Mark Wahlberg. Uh, macro is the wrong word, but like... Mainstream. He's a studio guy. Yeah, studio guy. Yeah, I I think I'm interested. Like he makes interesting choices, like doing Cherry and doing The Devil all the time. Right. Another Littlest Joint. Right. Um, cool ideas, but I just don't think he is. I think he like jumped the shark too fast, or like jumped the gun mm. too fast. Like he's not. He was. He's not talented enough to do like roles like that. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. In my opinion, but I think he's really good at Spider Man. So you there know, you go. do you want to be in one of the highest grossing movies of all time? 
probably. <laughs> so he's doing something good, but uh, otherwise, but yeah. yeah. So you were right. So um, he was not considered, at least not reportedly considered, uh, for the role of Paul Atreides. But I wanted to mention a couple of things about you know the other truths in here. So like the Sand Dunes in Oregon, I was listening to an interview with Frank Herbert, and he said the original uh, idea for Dune came from an article that he was uh, assigned to write about. Apparently in Oregon, Oregon, um, like on on the coast, um, sand dunes will, uh, or at least did in the '60s. Um, typically like basically get blown onto the highway and so in oregon the state um set up this like team or department who would like deal with that and so he was you know interviewing people and doing research on it and stuff and found it really intriguing how um they dealt with it and how you can even control sand dunes so he like sort of did its deep dive uh went a bit crazy and like sort of studied these things for like it was i think it was like 10 years because he started in 53 and the book came out in 65. So he realized he ended up not doing the article and obviously did the book instead and to, you know, probably a good choice, I think in that regard. But, um, but yeah, so that was interesting. Uh, the copies for $10,000, that was pretty interesting. It kind of makes sense, right? It's like classic, yeah, classic novel. So there's probably some rich guys out there who love that stuff. Um, Jared Tolkien, I thought that was interesting. It's like, why, I wonder why he hated it. You know, he said he hated it with some intensity don't know why it wasn't explained but shout out to him for not bashing him in public it is interesting because when you think of like lord of the rings there's so much he creates so much within it like the elven language he's got all these different characters and all these Mm -hmm. different like lands and Mm -hmm. cities and stuff you can tell i've read lord of the rings right of course Uh, um but it feels like this book goes pretty deep too. So maybe it just like wasn't deep enough for him. Yeah. Where or maybe there's like some shortcuts in here that we are missing that he saw like oh well this is yeah I don't know I don't know interesting yeah and then the um the field adaptation I got I gotta watch a documentary because like when I was just reading the Wikipedia article like this shit is outrageous like fourteen hour movie for yeah it was like described as a phone book and apparently Dali demanded to be paid a hundred thousand dollars an hour like and and Jodorowsky agreed. Know your worth, man. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> like, know your what worth. What the fuck? You're worth what people are willing to pay you. And the man was worth, his time was worth $100,000 an hour. That's fair. That's fair. Good for him. Good for him. Anyways, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It'll help us find more fine listeners like you. And we are back. Thank you from that word from Eric. Appreciate it. The spice must flow, Will. Yes, it must. Is that what I say in that? I'm probably not. No, no, you don't say it in that one. Um, Please rate review us, though. Please rate review. (laughs) Um, And Fear is a Mind Killer, don't forget. So, Literature, the book, about 800 pages in my my book. I I assume yours is probably about the same. Yep, plus an index. Oh, my God. Did you even look at it? No. Yeah, I didn't refer to it at all. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I just was going to slow me down to have to, like, every time, you know, someone mentions the Gamjabar or Ben Gesserit to go back and, like, review the very specific meanings of those words so i know i knew enough to get you know to move yeah. to the next word right right, right. <laughs> good for you so eric first question why adapt something like this into cinematic form yes yeah, so as you mentioned this is one of the highest selling works of sci-fi of all time so right there you're a hollywood executive you're a money-grubbing ip hound <laughs> What is better IP to grub for money for than Dune? Potentially nothing. 
mm. right? Like there is an audience of millions and millions of people who are familiar with Dune, um, who presumably love Dune. Like the you know first editions go for ten thousand dollars. That's a yeah. lot of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, presumably there's a, a big audience here, so there's that. However, <laughs> you could also make an argument that this book is very difficult to adapt because, well, the 1984 version is maybe a cult classic or just like a cult failure. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, like Jodorowsky made tried to make a 14 hour Dune. So is that a failure or is that just like stupid fucking idea? There's certainly like an aura or a stigma around Dune or there was at least. Yes. This was going to be in our unadaptable season. Yes, it was. Um, but then it got pushed back. So yeah, we moved on. But uh, there, there's probably something a bit like competitive about it. Like I can do Dune. Mm-hmm. I have a take on Dune that works. Yeah. And, you know, maybe it's just as simple as splitting it into two movies. Time will tell. It mm-hmm. didn't really do gangbusters at the box office, so maybe it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's interesting. Two, though, I think this book is very cinematic. You can see, you know, wide desert vistas, like small people moving across a big backdrop. It just feels like something that should be on a movie theater. It screen. feels like a cinematographer's dream. Right. Yes, and it is. I mean, this movie is beautiful. Yeah. Um, but just the idea of, like, big, wide, sweeping. Um, it has a lot of hallmarks of a lot of popular Hollywood movies. There's a coming-of-age story. Um, you know, it's good versus evil. Mm-hmm. There is themes of family. There's themes of complicated family because, as was unmentioned in the movie, there is, like, a little bit of, not quite, like, incest, but, like, a little bit of, like, inner house love and romance and Mm -hmm. connection um and there are other elements as well like ecology colonialism race politics if if you were to just like you remember when you were a kid you like spin a globe and like stop it with your finger and you'd be like oh one day i'm gonna travel to like the maldives Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah you could do the same thing with this book like open it up to a page stick your finger on a paragraph and be like okay i could make a two hour movie about terraforming this the like desert theme. planet into like a paradise like caladan yeah, yeah yeah um there's just so much smart good um interesting stuff in this book that you could easily fill two hours and 40 minutes yeah and you could easily fill 14 hours yeah it, it's funny we were talking off air and um you mentioned like you know what is this what is this book even really about and i i i think it's hard to sort of uh, tailor it to one thing, right? There's so many things going on and they're all, there's not one central theme. There's lots of different things that are like almost equally distributed throughout the book. Yes. Which is why the book is 800 pages. Right. Because <laughs> everything really does get its time in the sun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it's, I, I think if you are a, a, a reader, like a critical reader, someone who likes this kind of stuff, this book has a lot to offer mm-hmm. that you would probably like. Yeah. Um, and then were there any parts of the book you were excited to see adapted? The scope for sure. Um, you know, we're taking 800 pages and putting it in two and a half hours, two Mm -hmm. hours, 40 or five hours, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, but in addition to that, like, as I was reading the first couple hundred pages of Dune, I was like, okay, this is going to be, I think we're in an era where I am my default setting now as like in my own writing or as a reader or as a watcher is like, what about this says something 
about climate change or like mm-hmm. the changing earth mm-hmm. because a lot of this book is about like the climate the of Arrakis. Yeah. Yeah. Like water rights, yep. how to survive in an arid inhospitable world. Mm-hmm. It's just like, it's all right there. Yeah. yeah you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And there's a lot of books coming out now that are, you know, fictionalizing what happens you know, after 2030, yes, right? right. Or, or in the next 100 years. 20, yeah, once we destroy the planet. Yeah, 2100. Mm-hmm. So to, to me, I was like, okay, how how is this becoming, how are we doing like a pop culture version of climate mm-hmm. change? Mm-hmm. Um, didn't quite get that, but I was sort of waiting for that. Mm-hmm. And then I think thirdly, maybe is just this, I'm fascinated by like Paul as a, a character because I think he... And kids just in general, not kids, like teenagers in general, mm-hmm. are sort of a hard thing to get right. Like, it's, you know, you it's very hard to have a 15-year-old movie star, which right. is essentially what you're casting for. Mm-hmm. You need somebody who is both, like, incredibly intelligent, a little bit cold, very analytical, and also, like, lithe and muscular and able to take down men in mm. a battle and that's not your typical 15 year old and that's a 15 year old right so timmy and i want to talk more about like the casting later and compare him to um kyle mclaughlin mm-hmm. in 1984 but um just like the idea of who paul is and how you cast a person like that how do you yeah. get, how do you get that balance right what do you lose what do you gain mm-hmm. i think timmy is, is is good um but let's put a pin in that one and talk yeah, about that later for but, sure yeah paul paul was an interesting piece to me okay um and then, did we enjoy reading it? Well, what were you, what did you want to see adapted? Oh, sorry. Um, well, thank you. I want to give you a chance. To <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, well, honestly, um, I don't know if the listeners know about. Obviously, you know that I'm a pretty big Denis Villeneuve fan. Um, so I was like super excited just for that reason. I wasn't. I did not read Dune beforehand. Um, so I was excited to see him take on something like this, and I was honestly really nervous. Um, but for me, the parts that I was excited to see adapted were um, obviously Paul and obviously just the cinematography, uh, like we mentioned before. Um, those were sort of the main things. Um, obviously the Bene Gesserit was sort of interesting because there's sort of like this witchcrafty sort of element to them um, that were that was actually very comical in the 84 version, but in this version I thought was done really well. Um, so I was excited to see that. Um, yeah. Probably those things. Um, yeah. The Bene Gesserit's were definitely much bigger in the book, right? Like, there's a whole subplot of Lady Jessica, who is Paul's mother, mm-hmm. who's married to the Duke, yeah. um, trying to, like, further a line of women, mm-hmm. eventually looking for their own messiah, right? Right, exactly. Um, so there's I don't like, know. There's, like, a bunch of competing messiahs. And it's yeah, like, yeah, who's, yeah. Who is, who's, who's the who? one? Yep. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I would disagree. I would I would say they had a pretty prominent role in this movie. They weren't cer- They certainly weren't uh, they, there at all towards the second half of the movie. They were pretty much more prevalent in the beginning, which I thought made sense, and they'll probably be prevalent again in the second in the second one. But um, yeah, they were just they were badass. I thought in the movie. I don't know. They sort of exceeded my expectations in that regard. But um, and obviously the worm, right? You got to see what the worm looks like. It was pretty cool. Uh, although I would say the 84 version is not like a bad worm. It's got like the three pronged like mouth, I guess. Yeah. This one is just more of a circular. There's more teeth. Yeah, more teeth on it. 
But it's cool. It was badass. So yeah, I would encourage listeners if you haven't seen it to go search out the original analog, um, satellite magazines like yeah. cover when they published Dune because that is uh, a cool. We should post that. That's a cool image of the of the worm like rising up out of the desert. Yeah, um, I'm just bringing it up now. That is pretty dope. But um, but yeah, I would say those things. Um, I don't know. I was just more excited for, um, I was honestly excited for how it was going to be received. Yeah, that was like one thing for me that was like if this does not do well, like, this is, this is bad. Yeah. There's, there was so much pent up, like, interest. Yeah. And then with COVID pushing it back even further, adds the anxiety. Yeah. And it, it didn't do, I mean, maybe it did better than we know, because part of it, you know, it was an HBO Max release in addition mm-hmm. to being in movie theaters, which mm-hmm. probably, like, limited its take home. Definitely. In terms of box office, right? Definitely. So they probably know something that we don't know in terms of, like, how many people watch this and it was probably bigger than yeah. a 40 million dollar opening weekend yeah i wonder how many like added subscriptions they got that week or whatever for like how many they got and how many they lost sort of like those two weeks like leading up to it and then after it you know like just to see dune kind of thing um but yeah so the the budget for the movie was reportedly at 165 million dollars the box office was 306 uh million currently yeah so account, like you got double your money basically um which is good right um but yeah usually i mean a few years ago you're probably looking at like hundreds and hundreds of million right if this was like 2018 2019 um is what you're looking for right yeah i wonder if having the hbo max part of this kind of saves you from bombing because it's Mm. like if it brings x number of subscribers to hbo max it'll have been worth it yeah whereas like okay it opened to 40 million now everyone has to be fired. Yeah. We're not making a part two. And it's Godspeed. Cer- <laughs> it certainly helps you from from losing interest. Like, after postponing, postponing it a whole year, like, if you did that again, you would just lose, people would just lose interest because there are so many other movies out there, big movies and Marvel movies and stuff like that that would just like, okay, fuck, fuck, dude, I'm not, I don't really care anymore. Yeah. So you have to keep that hype train. You have to, like, time that hype train right. You can't just, like, keep extending it forever. Um so I think that part helps as well, but it's interesting and we can get off this in a second. Mm. I, it's just like thinking about how many subscribers that brought HBO max. It's essentially like the cost of one movie ticket to join HBO max. Yeah. You know, $15. Month, right? Yeah. But every successive month that you belong, you're like buying another movie ticket and buying. Another yeah, movie yeah, ticket. yeah. Yeah. So I it would be curious to know, like if I'm joining a subscription service, what is the average length of that? Like, contracts mm-hmm. so like every the average like hbo max subscriber has oh, like an eight and a half month yeah, life. Yeah, yeah so you're like all right well that's eight movie tickets yeah so yeah i don't know that's a interesting way to look at it it's interesting yeah. yeah i mean i do yeah we can get into that later but that is that's a good a little nugget there yeah um so did we like reading the book i did um i'll be interested to hear your opinion as well but i think there's a line here that keeps your interest. It is, I would offer a bit hard to pick up. I, I thought the first like 50 or so pages were more challenging than the rest of like, the next like 500. Mm-hmm. Um, just like understanding some of the dynamics, understanding some of the vocabulary there. It's like somewhat front loaded. Mm-hmm. And at first I was like, Oh God, you know, I read the 50 pages at once. I read the first 50 pages at once, like at the pool. 
and then I put it down for like a week mm-hmm. and I picked it back up and I was just like, I need to reread these pages. Yeah. Which and sucks. It's, which sucks. I but I, I think once I, once I was committed to getting through it and I was just like reading it every day. Yeah. Successively. You got to get in that flow. Yes. It was like the spice, how it must flow. Also the, the reading, <laughs> it must flow. That's good. Um, every, I mean, everything, everything just makes the story bigger. Yeah. It makes the story wider. It's all really interesting. It's all these big topics, as we've already mentioned, politics, family, colonialism, uh, drugs. It's basically like space acid, which is kind of of interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, There's just a lot in here that is cool. Yeah, definitely. And I like it. I I think compared to the other big thing that we read, It. Oh, my God. I would definitely recommend. I would definitely recommend Dune over It. Yeah, that, that one was like... That one was weird too, right? Yeah. I remember you were describing it to me like at the end, it was just like, it made no sense to me. Yeah. It, yeah. There's like a farting turtle that, you know, controls the universe. And I'm like wait, saying wait, this what? to you and you're just like, Are, is this a, <laughs> um, I don't know. But yeah, I think, um, I, I like Dune. I, I very much have enjoyed reading Dune. Good. Good. How do you feel? i that. Uh, me as well. Um, I, I have had, I think I've, I've owned that copy of Dune for like maybe close to 10 years. I, I think I was reading this in college once. When oh, we really? Were together. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, it's, it's been it's been a long time. And I've always wanted to read it, but it's just such a big book, an intimidating book, that it's like, I'll read it one day. And then, you know, time goes on and you get busy and you're like, I don't really have time for this kind of thing. Uh, and this movie sort of forced me to read it, which is good. I'm glad I, you know, finally got there. And I'm glad I did because I really enjoyed it. Um you know, the hype is real, right? There's a reason it's well-regarded. It's, it's, it's not a, I would not call it a difficult read. I would say it's a long read, but it's not like, you're not like, fuck, what is going on? It's relatively understandable. Successful. Yeah. And yeah. there are times where it do, it is dry, like any book, like you just kind of have to get through those times, but like the parts that are good, they're really good. And there's a lot going on. It's like, it's interesting to sort of dive into the things you talked about, like colonialism and, and space acid. And like, there are different things going on where it's not it feels fresh does that make sense like as you're going through it's like oh i didn't even think about this like um scene where they're like drinking this sort of potion aspect and they're basically having an acid trip and it's like you definitely did not get that the first you know 400 pages like this is something completely new and interesting so i will say that like there is that going for it so there's like spice beer i would definitely drink some spice yeah that would be spice coffee there's a lot of yeah they mentioned coffee a lot yeah we should put in drugs in everything, man. We should brew spice beer. It'd probably be good. It'd probably it's, be good. It's probably a good fall beverage, honestly. Like, see the hipster cafes. It's like spice coffee in the morning and it becomes a spice bar at night. That's where I would hang out, for so, sure. And uh, one more thing to probably add about this before we move on is mm-hmm. just that, like, Dune is, is one of the foundational texts for a lot of modern sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Like, I think you see a lot of Dune in something like Star Wars, which yep. I've already mentioned. Yeah. You know, you can see Dune probably even in, like, something like Harry Potter, where it's this chosen one. Yep. This idea. messiah. Yeah. Where he has to sort of find this mantle, live up to expectations. Yeah. Save the day, you know, huge consequences, but he's 14. Kind of I, thing. I do think that, and you know, listeners and whoever else can check on my accuracy of this, but I believe Tatooine was actually based on Arrakis. Cause I do know star Wars was like a heavily influenced by Dune, uh, the book. So check that out confirm it for me but i'm pretty sure i'm right so i mean if you like the the second trilogy of star wars where there's just like this long ass senate meeting 
That could be a scene in Dune. There are so many scenes in Dune where they are sitting around like conference tables Mm -hmm. or having conversations with each other, just laying out the stakes and all that stuff. Yeah, it's it's very scenery chewing. Scenery chewing. All right, that's pretty good. Look at you dropping all these spice must flow. Opine and (laughs) spice must flow. (laughs) We'll be right back. Do you have an idea for an episode? Tell us what it is. Tweet at us. Find us on Instagram. Follow us for updates and general musings at Lit2Lens. And we are back. Thank you for that brief word for myself. Uh, you were most welcome. So, Eric, we're going to keep going with a very popular segment here with Eric Learns You Something. I actually didn't think we were going to do it today, but... I'm surprising you with, with, with learning. I want to be educated. So. Yes. So today, we'll, we're going to be talking about epigraphs. Um, an epigraph is a phrase, quote, poem, segment of text uh, that is at the beginning of a novel or a chapter that can serve several purposes. So if, as you read Dune, you will note at the beginning of every chapter, mm. there is a um, quote, I suppose, from the novels, writings of Princess Aurelian. Mm-hmm. Um, and it essentially provides exposition, context, or like different details that help us, the reader, understand the context and themes of Dune, the story. Mm-hmm. So he's taking, Herbert, a fictionalized account of what Paul does in his life and places it at the start of every chapter. Yeah, so, and like, it's from the perspective of the daughter of the emperor. Yeah. So from the very beginning of the, of the book, we kind of understand what Paul is going to become. So there's no secret that he is eventually spoiler alert yeah, yeah going to become this like messianic figure yep. is you, yeah it's gonna be a messiah so mm-hmm. um but we we like splice in this fictionalized writing to sort of help us tell this non-text story gotcha if that makes sense so we're yeah. sort of like cheating ourselves to say like here is context for the decision paul's gonna make here is how to understand Paul's making decisions that will eventually have like planetary consequences Mm -hmm. or this is what Paul is thinking. This is what I'm thinking about that. Right. 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 Um, You see this a lot in, in novels. Um, Really? A lot of times if you pick up a novel, you'll flip to like the first page and it'll be like part of a poem Mm -hmm. and it serves often to like works as sort of a, a, a summary of thematic ideas. It can provide, a link to another work of fiction um, and invites comparison. So if you are writing a novel about like climate change, you might use a fragment of a poem that is about like the natural order of things to mm-hmm. say like, Hey, you know, here's Thoreau writing about nature. Right. Now I, as a Thoreau like figure, right. will write about nature. Interesting. So these are called epigraphs. Um, you know, often it's just one at the beginning of a novel Herbert does it at the beginning of every single chapter. Um, and he, because he is extra, has created this, like, teachings, writings of a character that we don't meet to sort of set right. the scene for Paul's adventures in Arrakis, the desert planet. Yeah, we can get into, you know, the difference, obviously, later, like, why they didn't include her in the in the movie version, or the most recent movie version. I think that's an interesting thing. But I wanted to ask you, like, what is another uh, piece of fiction that has an epigraph that, that comes to mind? Do you think of anything right oh, now? Oh, man. Um, too many. 
there's there's a a ton um in my novel i have oh from uh, so uh, yeah are you using it yeah so i i have one at the beginning of my novel from we mentioned him last episode um arthur rimbaud the uh the french poet oh yes inspired some of the beats yes um he has uh, often you see it like people will take the title of their novels from this segment of like text Mm -hmm. or whatever so i don't have to talk about the title of my unwritten novel but basically i pulled it from this poem called the drunken boat by arthur rimbaud okay so i use that like section of the poem it's like three lines Mm. as an epigraph to sort of connect you to the title of the book but also like thematically i'm writing about the same ideas i see sort of connect it all right interesting Um, so there's stuff like that like i think one example here i just pulled up is um t.s Eliot's the love song of j alfred rufrock which is something i read in college um has an epigraph from dante's inferno Mm. you know it's it's about like hell gotcha so it's sort of supplementary text that provides extra context or connection to the current story yes i would say connection is the key part there like it's an easy way to understand the themes I'm going to be approaching in these following pages. Gotcha. And also, I am just as good as, you know, Dante. So of course, I mean. Let, you don't have to make that connection. I'm making it for you. Yeah, right. <laughs> You're welcome. Well, you'll have to let us know when it comes out. So that's an epigraph. Cool. You probably notice that a lot in Dune because it starts every single chapter. Every single fucking chapter. Yeah. And some of them are long. Some of them take up like two pages of, yeah. or more than one page of yeah. uh, like book. So come on, what are we yeah. doing? Although the book pages are a little bit thin, it's just... Yeah, that's helpful for when it's 800. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so in this case, because it's, like, at the beginning of a chapter, it's more, like, supplemental versus being thematic. It's, like, additional information that's good for you to know to understand mm, Paul. Right, right, right. And his, like, eventual story arc, or narrative arc, I guess, right? And, like, where he ends up. Yeah. And how it relates to the current situation. Yeah. I bet if we pulled the book off the shelf, we could probably find one. Oh, any of these? Like Catch-22? Yeah, so pull Catch-22 off the shelf. Preface. No. Alright, well, we'll cut this part. <laughs> um, Lost City of Z, maybe? That's okay. No, it's alright. We tried. We did our best. Um, well, thank you for that. I appreciate that. So, Epigraph. Epigraph. So, remember, kids. It's also a level on Halo, I believe. It, that's Epitaph. Oh close well that's you know <laughs> it was based nice on question. it was nice based question. on an epigraph yeah um so when you're at a next when you're at your next party make sure you tell a lovely lady or a lovely man who or what an epigraph is it might help you out just saying yeah epigraph. don't fear is the mind killer instead hit her or him with knowledge you don't want to yeah well, metaphorically yeah correct yes. <laughs> okay so now getting into the movie Eric, how would you describe the adaptation? Literal, loose, or reimagined? I think we're probably in in between literal and loose here. Um, Very, very similar. There's a few key differences, uh, of course. I mean, I think it goes without saying, and yet we are going to say it anyway. The the novel is weighty. There are a bunch of different themes we've mentioned, and not all of them can make a movie. It's just like time value of money. There's only so much space. There's only so much you can do mm-hmm. um, well. So we have to drop some stuff. So that's why I'm giving it like literal loose 
the big stuff is all there. Like Paul as this messianic figure who's going to rise up and understand like his powers and how he's going to connect different worlds, how he's going to connect space and time, mm-hmm, yeah. how he's going to fucking do the worm across the desert and <laughs> kill the Baron. Legitimately. All that stuff is there. Yeah. Um, what isn't there, and I want to start maybe with some differences here, mm-hmm. um, thematically, in my estimation, one of the things that gets lost, and we can talk about why, is money. Um, the movie, unlike the book, is not at all interested in the costs to operate in this world. In the book, there are lots of conversations with bankers. There is a guild who sort of controls space movement or like mm-hmm. space travel. They control the movement of spice as a like product. Um, there is long passages about CHOAM, like the Chom yeah, company, yeah. Mm-hmm. who who controls the spice as well. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a in the book, the Baron puts himself in like a precarious financial situation when he attacks Arrakis to retake the planet that's been given away by the Emperor to the Atreides. Um, he uses like all of his funds to to do that, and that's yeah. a big plot. Yeah. So and it's not really that's not mentioned in the book. No, in the or, I mean the movie. Excuse me. So I want to draw a comparison for you to another work of you know legendary proportions, mm-hmm. Game of Thrones, an unfinished one. Oh. So if you think about a Game of Thrones, uh, you know this is an eight-season series, and it is very concerned with money and how much it costs to raise an army, fight. You know what money allows you to do in terms of like running a city, running a city-state. But Eric, a Lannister always pays his debts. Exactly. So I think the problem with money in a text like this is that once you tell us how much one thing costs. We have to understand the cost of everything else. Mm-hmm. Like money is either everything or you just get away with not yeah. talking about it. Like, like it's totally fine when you have a ship and you can fly it. Like do we need to see that ship fill up with fuel? Do we need to see like... <laughs> the money actually exchange hands? Right. right. But once you show that, it's now like, okay, well... Well, that costs well, that, that much. costs money. Why doesn't this cost money? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think if you're going to if you're gonna trim the narrative, money is an obvious way to just like get rid of a bunch of just imagine that's really expensive to do space travel right yeah these are like really rich houses they mention how the atreides have become very rich off the spice right they do mention it in portions of like how much the harkonnens are worth they're actually worth more essentially than the emperor himself um and certainly the atreides so like that is is mentioned but it's not it does not say how much space travel costs and all this other stuff so I think that the setup is helpful in understanding the stakes. Like, now yeah. you, you get why the planet Arrakis is valuable because right, right. Spice gives power and money, but you don't necessarily need to... Like, the book, though, is way us down with, like, conversations about yeah. money and, like, oh, my God, well, this mining craft got destroyed. Yeah. Uh, how can we, like, get another one? Oh, that cost this much. And then we had, to, we had to get the starter car to come. That cost us all our money. Like, we had to pay for their travel to come kill their Atreides. Yeah. Right. It's just, it just ends up being too weighty. So yeah. we cut that out. We get it, right? We, right. We get the stakes. Right. Um, another thing is, to me, like, politics was kind of written out um, of the movie a little bit. Mm-hmm. There were motivations... That I think just got simplified. So, in the book, and jump in if mm. I'm making a mess of this, but mm. 
basically the emperor gifts the planet Arrakis to the Atreides house. Yep. And the Harkonnens take it back. Correct. Um, and essentially, like, the Emperor is in on destroying House Atreides, more yeah. or less. There's a quote in the beginning of the book, and I forgive me for not uh, having it ready with me, but there, it's a quote that basically says, um, powerful men uh, are jealous of popular men. Something to that effect. And basically, it's it's much more better. It's mu- much better described in the book as it is the movie. But the Atreides and Duke Leto have become increasingly popular, right? They're not as wealthy as obviously the Emperor or the um, uh, Harkonnens, but he's become increasingly popular and well regarded, and m- much of more of a charismatic leader than the other people. So the Emperor essentially sees this as a threat. So he basically sets up the Atreides by you know, moving the Harkonnens out, which actually was not, like, in the 84 and in the book, they leave Arrakis, and then they come back and take it. But in the in the recent movie, it doesn't seem like they actually left, but they they have left. It's just not, like, well, they don't show Getty Prime, stuff like that. Anyways, side note. But, so he basically sets up Duke Leto by allowing the Harkonnens to sort of to kill them with the Sardaukar, and who's the army of the Emperor. Um, to kill Atreides and sort of just wipe him clean and like not have that as a threat anymore. Yeah, and there's and there's long conversation, longer conversations about like why Duke Leto and Lady Jessica are unmarried. Yes, uh, because you know by being unwed, even though they have a child, he can still use his like potential wife as political leverage. Yes, that's yeah. Make a connection between you know potentially violent houses and that was confusing in the movie because i remember talking uh after the movie to your wife mary because you were in the bathroom she was like so are they weren't married um because they mention it when they're in bed like you know oh i would i should have married you yeah it's oh they're not married like kind of that like that sort of connection was not described in the movie but like you said it, it was used as a power as as leverage to sort of uh over you know wealthier families who may want to wed Duglato for you know power placement or whatever and ultimately it like doesn't come to pass in either the book or the movie because he spoiler alert dies like fairly early on yeah so r.i.p it yeah great man <laughs> um so it, it's it, it is interesting so maybe it's just because that thread never really gets pulled in the book you can sort of throw it away although they i mean it is it is confusing to just be like why did, it's like why, why did throw you throw that in there yeah. yeah it's sort of like why throw that in there if you're not going to describe it yes yeah, so you could have just left it out there might be more to come with there might be more to come with like lady jessica because we know she has mm. a backstory in the book yeah. that doesn't really get touched on and maybe yeah. we'll leave that unsaid because it might come to pass in part two right um maybe we already said it in the podcast either way um there, there might be more to come there so maybe it's just like a we're omitting it because we're gonna like bring it bring, bring it, it back later bring it back later that's fair um so duke leto's death yeah so apologies we're, we're kind of like moving around in terms of like weights like the first two things we talked about sort of like thematic chopping blocks now we're gonna get into a little more like story choices mm-hmm. so duke leto dies in both the book and the movie mm-hmm. um there's a traitor called Dr. Yue, mm-hmm. who um, kills him. But as he's killing him with poison, gives him this tooth that 
Duke Leto can crack that will expel like poison gas. Mm-hmm. And Yue, who is a traitor, is doing it so that Duke Leto can kill the Baron Harkonnen. Right. Um, because Yue is being employed by the Baron Harkonnen to like give away the Atreides, mm-hmm. but still hates the Baron and still wants him dead. Right. It's it's a it makes more sense than when I'm explaining it now. It's a complicated. There's a lot of motivation involved. So Doctor Yue is the doctor of the of the House of Atreides, right? So he is their like head doctor of the family, close, well regarded, like uh, close um, compatriot, I guess. Yeah. Uh, of the Atreides family, uh, but basically his wife was murdered, or at least taken hostage uh, by the oh, Harkonnens. Right. Yeah. Uh, so his motivation is essentially get his wife back. So he makes a deal with um, Harkonnen. Uh, I forget his name. Vladimir Baron Harkonnen, yeah. Harkonnen um, to sort of get his wife back um, or at least have contact with his wife or sort of essentially get revenge on him. So basically Duke Leto is, is used as a pawn in this scheme to sort of, he plays uh, Baron Harkonnen um, by by paralyzing um, Duke Leto and then basically bringing Duke Leto to Harkonnen because obviously Harkonnen wants to kill the Atreides. Um, and then basically by planning this this sort of fake tooth that if you bite down hard on releases this poison gas, he can sort of get back at Baron Harkonnen. So it's sort of like a triple, like not a double cross, but a triple cross. Yeah, it's sort of a, yeah. I, I think about this a lot, actually. I, I actually don't like this at all. Like, I don't like this in the story. I don't like this in the book. It's it's somewhat convoluted. And I just don't like his pers- UA's perspective on it. Like, if you're in that situation, like... Unless you know that Duke Leto was being set up, which if he was, why would he go on this journey and not let him know? Like, why would you not just, like, double down on Duke Leto and help him, like, destroy the Harkonnens? Like, you know, like, I don't really like that, this part of the story, but that's just, like, a personal thing. It is interesting because this is why I want to talk about it. In the book, the consequences are non-existent. So his wife actually has already been killed. Yeah, so when right. Yue gets back to Baron, it's like, hey, I got you, the Duke. He's like, okay, well, now you're going to join your wife, who yeah. I've killed. Yeah, Goodbye. so he dies anyway. So it's all for nothing. Yeah, in the in the book, Leto chomps down on the tooth. Everyone in the room dies, yeah. except for the Baron, who escapes so quickly. Because yeah. they put in, you know, COVID filtration systems, and <laughs> none, of the, none of the air gets out. Um, in the movie, he bites down on the tooth, and the Baron actually gets affected by the poison. But... Because he uses these, like, lifts. Lifters in his he's, spine. Yeah. He's, or whatever. He described it as, like, very overweight in the book. And he's fairly overweight in the movie. It helps him, like, offset gravity to move yeah, around right. more easily. He basically just, like, floats to the ceiling mm-hmm. and stays in the ceiling. Yeah, he, he's sort of semi-affected by it. He's, he's, he's not killed by it, but he's, he's dealing with it. Yeah. So he's got some effects. So, it, in the movie, they do... A better job of using that plot, the UA, Leto, Baron plot, to actually, like, weaken the Baron. So it, right. it, it makes it a little... I think it legitimizes it. A little bit more. A little bit more. Yeah. And, you know, there's a cinematic novelistic history of the villain being... Disabled is, is maybe the right word, maybe not the right word. But, like, say so. you know, something physically, emotionally... Mm-hmm. is wrong with the villain it gives them a handicap of some sort and this yeah. is why they're acting a certain way right right right. so in the movie he he does like all these kind of like weird sludge treatments to yeah 
regain his health. Yeah. Um, and it's not really explored beyond like the fact that he's alive and is regaining strength. Yeah. So it's 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 it is what it is. It's they didn't change it very much. Um, I think it, it makes that plot make more sense. Correct. Yeah. But I think the overall, like you're saying, it's it's a small right, a small change. Yeah. So the next difference I want to talk about, Will, is Tynes, the ecologist. Okay. So relatively minor switch here. Um, in the book, Tynes is a male. Yep. In the movie, Tynes is a female. Right. Um, it doesn't feel like a huge decision, right? This is kind of just like who was the best person for the part. Right, right, right. Whatever. Um, I, do, I do think it's interesting, the, and we'll have to see, we'll have to check back in in part two, what kind of role Tynes plays. Because we mentioned early on, like, the ecology, the environment has sort of been downplayed, even though it's been there. Mm-hmm. Like, we understand um, Desert Planet, they want to make it hospitable. Mm-hmm. You know, there's conversations about uh, what it, 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 to grow palm trees in the desert, which they have outside of their, like, compound, is this, it requires the same water that could feed, like, 10 people a day mm-hmm, yeah something like, like that one so, tree is like 10 people yeah yeah so it, it's on like the tip of the tongue of this book and movie of this story they just haven't really dug into it yeah and tines in the novel is way bigger yeah, um, yeah, yeah. she helps them escape from the sardukar right um at a certain point and when we last leave her in the movie she helps paul and lady jessica get to the thopter that takes them away and they'll fly into the storm and then crash and then set up their tent yeah right. yeah mm-hmm. so she helps them escape um they go left she goes right and that's the last time we've seen her in the book we see her i'm pretty sure right no because she we see her with the thopter she after she gets out of the hallway or wherever she went she calls a worm to her and she basically sacrifices herself yes okay that's but it. i don't think that's what happens in the book and i don't actually remember in the book um he is just he's been like thrown into the desert and he's kind of just like wandering around in the desert right. thinking he has a conversation an imagined conversation with his father about like arrakis and how they had plans to like make it better right um like environment wise but he doesn't die right or i does, think he does die he does die? Okay. i think he gets killed okay um it transitions into something else that i want to talk about which is the like removal of a lot of the interiority mm. of the book yeah which you sort of sort of have to do right but yeah. um the Tyne's death in the book is like a seven page conversation with his imagined father. Yeah. And it like advances certain themes, but like you just couldn't do that. This is such a tertiary character. You couldn't just bring up like Obi-Wan right, 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 talking right. in the desert about fucking water, you know? <laughs> right. Um, so that's interesting. I think mm. like a lot of people, a lot of people in the book got their own POVs. Just like, yep. you know, Lady Jessica oh, is like thinking about this situation. Paul yep. is thinking about this situation. Other yep. people who aren't important, like the banker in that one dinner scene is yep. like thinking about the conversation. Yeah, and the um, ride father, or I forget how you say it, um, he gets his own interiority as well, as, as well as the Baron and some other Harkonnens and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah, you, there's a lot more interiority they can't really do too much of in a, in a film. Um I will say they did do the narration though. Chani, or however you say it, um, provides narration. Is it the Zendaya? Yeah, Zendaya character, which almost replaces the Princess of Ruin um, epigraphs. Um, I don't know if you remember in the '84 version, it's her. The first scene is her face with like a space backdrop, 
and she's literally like providing the narrative. This is Sean Young, right? In the yeah, original? Uh, no, it's um a different actress. Uh, Virginia Madsen. Okay. Yeah, she's much younger in this movie than she is now, obviously. But, um, yeah. So I thought that was interesting. But th- they do provide some like narration, not internal dialogue, obviously. But they do provide sort of Chani's contextual, yeah, guidance. Right. Maybe we would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. People were so mad that she was barely in this movie. Yeah, I mean, the amount of articles I got that I saw pop up on my, like, Google News, like, feed or whatever about, like, Dune, like, I was just, like, I just continuously rolled my eyes for the past, like, few weeks. Like, that was ridiculous. Um, I also want to mention there was one about, and I think you maybe disagree with me, about how there was a missed opportunity to talk about the, like, uh, environmental, like, aspects of Dune and related to, like, our current situation. It's like, this movie does not owe anything to, like, our current climate crisis. Don't even bore me with this bullshit. Like, stop trying to, like, pin this on, like, the movie and the Hollywood industry and, like, Denis Villeneuve for not, like, living up to your, like, ecological expectations. And, like, yeah, I'm not mad at it. I just think, I, when I when I read it, I was like, oh, you're expecting is, it. this is probably where it goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is, you know, yeah. very different. Um, yeah, but it, I think it's just, like, it's the way movie culture works now where like a movie comes mm-hmm. out and we have to dissect it to death. We have to find, uh, yeah, the one thing that hasn't been talked about that like we can criticize it for yeah. or like related to like our current situation. Yeah. It's like, okay, this movie wasn't enough about climate change. Like, okay, well the movie's about plenty of other things. You know, mm-hmm. there wasn't enough like f- the Fremen, like religion. Yeah. There's plenty of, I guess, Bene, Bene Gesserit stuff. Yeah. But like the Fremen have their own religion as well, and yeah. maybe that was underexplored. It's like, well, they're in the last like fifteen minutes yeah. of the fucking movie. Chinese going to be like a, a huge a, part of part a two. huge part of part two. Like it may be more than Paul, or probably not more than Paul, but like right up there with Paul. Yeah, well, it's honestly, it's like the problem with that is like the problem with celebrity, whereas like you saw yeah. Zendaya and you were like, oh my god, yeah, exactly, it's Zendaya. So yeah. we have to make the press tour about her, right, 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 extremely famous, right, and like people give like care a lot about her yeah, yeah. so it, it makes sense but like that's the that's like a celebrity problem mm-hmm. and not like a storytelling problem yeah i remember i, I read it, like the article title it was like zendaya is is in less than five minutes of the entire film which is like somebody literally put Stop a timer us. on yeah. <laughs> every time she was on screen it was like okay less than five minutes let's run run the article like that kind of shit is just like go you know just go write for some stupid blog like i don't need to be it's for clicks Right? That's for clicks. That's, yeah. a, that's just like a piece of content that doesn't need to exist, but like has to exist because we need more clicks on Tuesday. But you know what pisses me off? It's like there's going to be one, at least one person, probably lots more that like read that article, read that headline and like, oh, I'm, I'm not going to see it. I heard it wasn't good because Zendaya wasn't in it. It's like, that's like what pisses me off. Yeah. You're not, you're not interrogating like the movie. You're interrogating something that's, you know, uh, it's a part of the movie, but it's like not. It's not a, relevant. Right. It's not relevant. It's yeah. relevant to, like, the Zendaya, like, diehards, probably, right? Because yeah. they, like, love her, but... I do want to talk about her, actually, as well, in this differences, because I do feel like in the book, that character was way more welcoming of Paul. Oh. Right? Like, she was... Than the book? Yeah, in the book, she she gives him... So, the, the setup is the same, where Paul and Jessica are in the desert trying to survive. Mm-hmm. They get picked up by this uh, group of Fremen who take them in, mm-hmm. um, who help them initially. One of the group is like, 
we can't trust them. I invoke this, like, certain privilege that I have to fight Jessica yeah. unless she has a champion. Right, right, right. Paul becomes the champion, um, and they fight. But before they fight in the book, the Chennai character, like, whispers to him and is like, oh, he can only go right. And yeah, 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 she was. he is ambidextrous, but, like, yada, yada, yada. So she gives him hints. And in the movie, she's basically just like, he's a good fighter, you're probably going to die. Yeah, you're, you're right. That is a good point. She was a lot more cold in the movie to Paul than she was in the book. She was a lot more, like, receptive of, like, providing information. And... I think the movie version is more realistic. It's like, these are two, like, white yeah. people infiltrating your tribe, and you don't trust fun. them because yeah. they, like, essentially push you out into the desert to mm. just, like, you know... Like, who the fuck are these people? Yeah, so you would be, I think, naturally untrusting, mm -hmm. and so that makes more sense to me than her just, like, welcoming him in and mm -hmm. being like, here, I know that's my, like, you know, friend and he's in my tribe, but, like, here's how you can kill him. Right, 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 right. I know I haven't met you before, <laughs> but, like, here's here's the strategy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a good point. Um, I also want to say, like, in the book, Chani is referenced without her name in, like, the first, like, maybe chapter with the like the premonition or whatever you call it where yeah. he has a dream about her and then she doesn't appear until literally page like probably 400 or whatever it is 375 so like going back to that article like she's actually in a lot more of the movie than she was in the book for part one right for for that half so fuck that author or fuck that the writer fuck that writer i don't yeah. know who it is but. i do wonder like dune as a property how many people <clears throat> have like pretended to read this book Oh, or like, cause yeah. you're, you're mad about something that has existed for 19, since 1965. So 60 years, mm -hmm. you could have read this and you could have known yeah. the, what the story like does. Mm -hmm. You could have figured that out. You had right. 60 years to do it, yeah. but we have to like write an article that she's not in the movie, yeah. even though we've known that for 60 years. That's why they work for Vox or whatever, instead of the New York times or the Washington post. So my question is, like, have you pretended to... Re are you just, like, pretending to be an expert on Dune to write this article? Probably. But then, like, writing a dumb article about something yeah. that is very plain. Yeah. Or imagine imagine reading the whole book, and then your, like, editor is like, no, I want you to write this article. Then you're like, all right, well, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> it's on my deadline, so I got right. it. Yeah. Um, yeah, the only other thing I would say is, I think when he, Paul, and... Chennai? I think it's Chani, but... Chani, Chani. Yeah. Um... When they meet in the in the book version, there is not that like recognition that she was the one in his like yeah dreams, premonitions, future cast. Until they meet, it's like I think I've seen you before. Yeah, it takes book. them a little time, but in the in the movie, it's pretty. It's obvious. It's pretty quick. Yeah. So that's that. That's that. That's just <laughs> one I wanted to hit on. Um, I do think Zendaya plays like untrusting and a little bit cold and standoffish pretty well. Definitely, it feels like that's that's one of the things that she is very good at and she mm -hmm. seems to do a lot whether it's in spider-man or like malcolm and marie she has this like i think oh the netflix movie yeah i think she has she does she has this like detachment about her mm. that's like fairly compelling yeah no i agree i i've only seen her in euphoria um and this and i i would probably agree with you although i haven't seen that in a long time but um yeah no i thought she did really well i mean you're definitely right about that. I definitely did not pick up on that, that she was a lot more cold in the movie than she was in the book. Because she's just like, yeah, giving that information. Yeah. Right. I, just, I think it makes more sense. Like, yeah. Let's... Like, realistically. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I agree. What's the next one? Uh, Fremen, just as, um, like, warriors, right? There's mm -hmm. there's a lot made. There's a basic idea that when the Harkonnens 
had control of the planet, they were very non-friendly to the Fremen and like yep. kept them on the fringes of society, kept them on the fringes of the fringe of society, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and they didn't quite know how many Fremen there are. Yeah. Um, and there are estimates like from sources that it could be like millions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of them are very good warriors. Yeah. And it's shown in the book that they've def- they can defeat the Sardaukar like fairly easily. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know not hundred percent of the time, but like they're they're pretty accomplished warriors. Yeah. And there are potentially like legions and legions of them if you could control them or have them as you're like riding into battle with you. Yeah. You could overflow overthrow the planet. Yeah, for sure. Um, in the movie, that is all true, but they show them in battle, like, as not great, I would say. Not, yeah, I wouldn't say that they were bad, but they certainly do not live up to the expectations that they have in the book. Because I think they, they fight the Sardaukar multiple times, like in the opening scenes where they're raiding the spice, uh, collectors, harvesters. And then again, later when, uh, Paul and Lady Jessica are trying to escape. They get wiped out relatively easy in that. Yeah, in that both scene. times I would say they don't even really show. They show a little bit of the fighting, but it doesn't last very long. It's just like Duncan Idaho. You come out of that the final scene like, oh, Duncan Idaho is the badass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they killed like three or four Sardaukar, whatever yeah. it was. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, they, they definitely don't live up to the same uh, pedestals they do uh, for their fighting abilities in the book. Which I think is maybe a mistake, or maybe it's enough. I don't know, because it, it feels like you're you you're setting them up to take back the planet, right? Like yeah. we know at the end of this that Paul probably is going to position himself in a leadership role among mm-hmm. the Fremen, and we know he's gonna you know I don't, he mentions a couple times like this idea of like jihad, like a religious war mm-hmm. to take back his planet that is rightfully his, mm-hmm. yada yada. So you get the sense that that's coming, yeah. but I, I don't think you leave the movie feeling like the Fremen are the people that are going to help him do that. Yeah, I mean, also, like, the last scene where Lady Jessica just sort of, like, kills, not kills, but, like, uh, beats Stilgar. And like, also the Paul, leader of their troop. And also Paul kills a, a guy. Yeah, so, yeah, no, you're right. You're definitely right. They definitely, like, leaving the, mo- leaving the movie, you probably don't have, like, a very good opinion of their fighting capabilities yeah right the only thing i will say about that is like they do have we know and you probably should know after watching the movie Mm -hmm. that the worms are coming right so maybe that's enough to flip the planet if you had like you know 700 worms yeah probably just coming that'd be ball you know (laughs) that that would be cool so maybe maybe it's enough to just understand like it's bodies and it's worms Mm -hmm. and that's enough it's sort of like to bring it back to game of thrones like okay we both have like the Targaryen army and the and army of the north, but also three dragons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, we're not gonna lose, basically. Yeah. But you're right. But in the book, like, they knock down the Sard- the Fremen knock down the Sardaukar like maybe a couple times. They're, they're badass. They're yeah, they are badass. So shout out to the Fremen in the book. But. Absolutely. Um. So I don't have this written down here, but we we sort of mentioned it. And if we're gonna go long on this anyway, let's yeah. talk about it. Yeah. Um, in the world of Dune, there are no computers. There's no like AI, right? And yep. You want to mention why that is? Yeah, so uh, I guess in the backstory, and I don't, I haven't read anything, I haven't read any supplementary Dune books on this, but from what I've read online and stuff, is that the artificial intelligence has been essentially outlawed within the uh, like universe of the galaxy, whatever you want to call it. Um, so because of its power and because of its overtaking abilities over humans and stuff like that, they believe that AI is essentially evil. 
um, and that they have these mentats uh, who are basically these almost like these super human kind of capability where they can just do crazy math like within like a second or two so they have like these calculator like individuals who do algorithms and stuff like that for them to replace that ai um but there's also no real guns like they have ships and they have space travel and they have missiles but there's like really only hand-to-hand combat is that what you wanted to mention yeah and um so it, although it's in the future it kind of is like a not primitive on the right word, but like sort of like a past version of what a future might be where it's yeah like, it is hand-to-hand right it's you know even though there is space travel it's not like not blowing each other up there's like, no drones right right like, yeah. yeah so it, i think it gives you this more of like a human i know a human is a fraught word in this in this world but like right, more right. of a like a personal sense of danger where it's like you have to fight somebody to win yeah and i feel like that is sort of i feel like the the, the main reason for that of having this like hand-to-hand combat is more of an ode to like previous texts and like fantasy fantasy novels or fantasy fiction or even just like a sort of a remembrance of you know whatever samurai tradition or knight knight in shining armor tradition stuff like that um where it's more mythological as opposed to like futuristic so it's it's sort of i don't know it's sort of a dichotomy where you have this space travel and then you have this like fighting warriors with swords right yeah and in the movie i i feel like that is sort of written out right you don't get the sense that no the technology is is older or is you know more personal right mm-hmm. like the the atreides mentat exists and he serves a purpose that's very limited mm-hmm. compared to what he does in the book in the mm-hmm. book essentially like that mentat the, the harkonnens want to control that that mentat yes so they part of the reason they when they take the planet back they like they're very considerate in keeping him alive and getting him back and flipping him to support the Harkonnen mission. Yeah. So Thufir Hawat, I think yes. as I would say it is, used to be the Atreides Mentat. Um, but the Mentat for the Harkonnens was killed when Duke Leto bit down on his tooth because he was he was basically right there. Um, so he wanted to keep him for that reason as well as like try to flip him for their side and use him in that. But but yeah. Yeah. So you know it, it's weird to have him in the movie and then just like make him have little purpose he's just sort of like a, a brain that you don't really need because you can just fly ships anyway yeah it's sort of weird i mean they show it i think the the scene where they show him do the mentat thing where he like rolls his eyes up is like how many like uh years did they lose or something like that or like how much time did they lose traveling from the emperor's planet to like the caladan the atreides planet um so yeah which is like sort of feels like it's just thrown in right yeah it's i guess the idea that like the planet contains wealth is just sort of enough to get you a bunch of different like narrative threads tied together yeah it's like okay well we're doing this for this reason and it's big enough that you get it right like yeah it's wealth it's power fine we don't need to also take the planet to get this mentat who will help us fly yeah or whatever i do think it's important to mention why they don't have guns like i i don't know i I feel like if I was a person who is just going to this movie blind, right, no no knowledge of the book or anything like that, um, I'd be like, why don't they have guns? Like, they have missiles. Like, why are they fighting? Like, sure, it looks cooler, like, from a movie perspective, but, like, it doesn't really make logical sense. So I feel like, I don't know, you sort of almost have to throw in that nugget that, like, AI and, like, all these machinery and, like, 
or even just like a noble like hand-to-hand combat like a love for hand-to-hand combat needs to be described in some way to sort of for the audience to make that sort of i don't know that leap i guess yeah because it, it you're right it's like sort of against the tradition of sci-fi but it's purposeful yeah there's a reason behind it and it's just not explored really yeah um so, so one more quick hit yeah before we get to lady jessica because I, okay. I want to talk about her as well but um gurney who is gurney Halleck or Halleck. part of the atreides clan right he's he's one of the important people he's the trainer of paul um he's really a commander and a general yeah um he is played by josh brolin mm-hmm. important yep. character um he we're not when we when we leave him in the movie the harkonnens have attacked the planet mm-hmm. and he's like running to get to the ships a bunch of ships blow up we cut away yep. and we're ne- he's never seen again right right um in the book he's a much much larger part and i believe he is even captured by the harkonnens at a certain point in the desert uh i know he's alive i can't remember if he's he was definitely captured. alive i can't remember if he was captured or not in I the movie right. we don't see him die either so it's you know he, he may well be alive and josh brolin you know survives till the end he's living on yeah. that planet of thanos um <laughs> he in the in the in the book he has a much larger part and it's sort of an interesting thing he is like obsessed with the idea that the traitor of the duke is jessica yeah and not yes. ua yeah yeah um and you can understand like how that difference might inflect his character with like certain motivations mm-hmm. like if you think jessica is the traitor when and if you meet jessica again you might treat her poorly or mm. violently or yeah. whatever um so giving him that has i think you know narrative potential right yeah. here he just sort of is like a yes man um and he's a trainer of paul and he imbibes paul imbues paul not vibes imbues <laughs> paul with like technical skills to kill yeah. you know a, a fremen at the end but he's he's much smaller yeah no i agree with that i think he I might be another part two character i don't know he probably will i think he'll probably come back because we didn't see him die he probably was captured but who knows um in the movie and you know when the, when we see part two or whatever but I think you're right about the Lady Jessica thing. I, I want to say Tufir Hawat also suspected Lady Jessica of being the traitor as well. Um, but yeah, you're, he's certainly more prominent and has the Duke Leto's ear a lot more than what was you know shown in the movie. I mean, he's he's more of a protector in the movie of uh, Duke Leto. Like he he juts out whenever he thinks there's a suspected threat. Like when uh, Kynes goes to like manage his still suit before they go off into the right. into the spice sands and like he's like yo back the fuck up like we don't know you and when stilgar spits yeah yeah which is like oh my god that was such a great scene um when he spits on the table and you're like what the fuck yeah. <laughs> like, no he's giving us his water yeah and like oh shit which is like a great uh great connection there but um yeah so I, I, he wasn't really he was around, but he wasn't really... He didn't really have his his moments, I think, until maybe the end when he started charging the... Charging the, um, the starter car. Yeah. But no, I agree. So we'll see what part two has in store for him. Yeah, I think he'll probably come back. I, I, the story has him come back, and he's kind of a relevant piece in the, in the second part of the book, so I think he'll probably come back. Yeah. Um, so then, just to close out here, wanted to touch on Lady Jessica real quick. Yeah. Um, she's 
very important, right? She's yeah. probably like the, the second most important character. Yep. Played by Rebecca, Rebecca Ferguson, pretty well. Mm-hmm. Big Definitely. fan. Big fan of Rebecca Ferguson. She is a, a Bene Gesserit, um, which is one of a line of these. They call them like dismissively witches. Mm-hmm. Um, they are looking to birth their own Messiah figure. She can control the sex of her yeah. unborn child. Yeah. Um, goes against Bene Gesserit like dic- diction dic- they have, they tell her i think like you can have a boy or a girl no i think they're only allowed to have women or ch- is that girls. right and she okay. chose in as because she was in love with the duke yeah and he to wanted have a son yeah a son yeah um and it goes against like what they have told her to do and yeah. puts her in trouble and yet she still like trains paul in the way of the bene Gesserit to yeah. duke leto's consternation mm-hmm. in some moments um she's she's a big part of Paul's story. She's with him as, you know, they escape the attack on Arrakis, mm-hmm. they travel through the desert. She is with Paul as sort of this, like, mother figure, trainer figure. She's pregnant with the Duke's second child, yep. um, as she is in the movie. She's she's just kind of a badass, right? Are you talking about in the book? In the book. Yeah. She's ambitious. She has this whole backstory um that involves the harkonnens she gets a lot of shit too like a lot of people don't really like they, a lot of people like i don't want to say put her down but like are skeptical of her and like sort of challenge her and she like puts up with it really well yes so she's well trained she has really good control of herself she's yeah. able to control people with the voice which yeah. you saw in the movie a little bit yeah um i feel like i just feel like in the movie her importance was lessened it, it did exist right the benedictor mm-hmm. is important there's that one you know do you still have the scene with the gum jabbar yeah and i forget the name of the box where he puts his hand yeah in. i forget i think it might have just been called the box honestly um <laughs> so she's still an important part of that it yeah. just it, it felt like more she was an like emotional protector of paul rather than the person who could do that and also beat the shit out of you and yeah. also control you and win so this is a this is a critical uh difference you're bringing up she is much more emotional in the movie she is basically unemotional in the book um in the scene that i'm remembering right now where she basically is betraying her son to she's leading her son to his if you know possible death uh with the bene Gesserit. i forget the character's name but she's like that highest best bene yeah. Gesserit. Uh, is that not the, also a reverend mother or is that a different it's probably another reverend mother yeah. um i could i could be lying but i'm not sure but anyways she she's like having an emotional breakdown outside of that in the movie uh, yes. in the movie she's outside like crying, of that scene yeah basically yeah um and there are other instances where she's sort of breaking down or has these emotional outbursts and, and it gives her character more complexity right it makes her more relatable um but certainly in the book she does not have this quality of of, of being i don't want to say overly emotional because she's not overly emotional because that's certainly a very emotional situation that she's in but like she's very unemotional in the book so you're totally right and paul is also fairly unemotional in the book yeah i would say so um you get you got timmy so you got to be a little more emotional he he has that outburst in the tent uh when they're yeah. sleeping under the sand but that happens in both the book and the movie so I wouldn't say that he was overly emotional in one or the other, but, um, yeah, so. No, but Lady Jessica's character, I mean, it's, she's going to play a huge part in the second book. I'm super excited to see what she does and Rebecca Ferguson. I, what has she been in? 
feel like I haven't heard. I feel like I've heard her name, but I don't. I did not recognize her. I did not recognize her either. Yeah. Um. I do think she. I think she was in something big. Uh. Maybe you can figure it out. But I. I do think she was. She was really good. I. I. I suppose that we are limiting like her scope and some of the Bene Gesserit stuff for part two. Mm-hmm. I think there's there's I probably didn't make enough about religion like in my opening spiel, but religion is a fairly big part of the book and huge yeah. the the different like cultures that are colliding, yeah, and their beliefs and stuff. And there's a whole like I think actually you know what will there is going to be a Dune TV series. Yeah, there's the Sisterhood, and I think it's about the Bene Gesserit. Yeah. But they there's this whole idea that um Bene Gesserit's are sort of like missionaries in that they go to these various planets and teach the local indigenous tribes about this like Masonic. So I I think there's probably like, they, they are, they are giving these people the idea that like what they are trying to do is coming. Yeah. So So it's, yeah. Well, I was just going to say, I can't remember if they did this in the, in the movie as well as the book, but I remember in the book for sure that they, Lady Jesuit keeps referencing that the um, Bene Gesserit have been here and they've sort of planted the seeds of like their religion and like the idea of this Messiah, like Maldib character in Arrakis. Like they've been here like generations before. Like this is like a generational, like, you know, century thinking plan essentially um, where they sort of lay these eggs and these seeds and stuff. And, um, and they reference it a lot in the book where like, oh, they've been here. Like they know what they're talking about. I think they do in the movie. I'm pretty sure I could, I could be wrong, but might be more of a part two thing to set up the TV show or like, at yeah. least give us enough to have a TV show out of, but they're incredibly interesting characters. Very interesting. I yeah. would say that TV show is probably like must watch. Yeah. I would definitely watch that. Um, um and they're just, they're so fucking like cool and eerie and witchy in the, in the Villeneuve version. It's like, gives me shivers. Yeah. um okay so that i think that's a lot there's a lot of there's a you know things get chopped things get reworked a little bit i do think ultimately that it's if you were rating this on how similar is it it's it's pretty similar yeah i would say yeah i would say it's pretty literal um on the scale that we that we provide here but um yeah not not a whole lot of deviation i mean there are certainly some scenes that were thrown in like obviously the scene where um you know, the, the Sardaukar and the Harkonnens come and destroy Arakeen and destroy the Atreides. Like, that scene wasn't in the book. It's sort of referred to later, but, like, you don't get, like, the explosions and the combat. Like, that all happens all, around. Yeah. Around the action. Of yeah, because you're, like, with Lady Jezre, or Dugleto, and then Lady Jessica, and then Paul Atreides have their own separate situations away from the combat, essentially. Um, but that was an awesome scene. Um it just goes to show you the differences in like the the focus of the author who's like okay this is a story about people and colliding mm. like priorities and the movie's like fuck dude it's a movie man you have to have that gotta have it for the people you have to gotta have it for the it people. was badass dude it was totally worth it yeah um but no I mean yeah pretty similar to the to the book and would you say it's successful yeah I would definitely say it was it was very successful um it's sort of like I don't want to say it's overly successful because it's like got that such a strong stigma to it or it had a strong stigma to it like you could never you could never make dune into a movie basically that it sort of has like an extra bit of like satisfaction that it was well received it was well done obviously it's not perfect right it has a lot of it has a lot of things that are left out and stuff like that but 
Um, yeah. So we, we talked about this being unadaptable. Do you think it's just at a certain point in history, we were like, oh, we can't adapt sci-fi because the technology is not good enough. We can't make a worm. That's why it's yeah. not adaptable. Right. Or is it just like, there's too much going on. How can we fit this in yeah. 90 minutes? I think it's the latter okay. of what you said, because there is, there is just a shit ton. I mean, it's got like, it's got dances with wolves, right? Like that story where an outsider comes into a foreign territory and sort of like brings that it's sort of like this white, white savior, savior sort of thing yeah which is you know has its own issues but it's sort of that story as well as like the religious aspect as well as the you know drug aspect as well as this you know political aspect so yeah i think because it has all that going for it is the reason why it like failed right with the david lynch as well as the jedorowski uh, version which sounds fucking bananas honestly but yeah i don't want to give this version like too too much credit here or i don't want to give the novel too too much credit but it does feel like you know the interactions between the atreides and the fremen seem realistic where there's like parts that are guarded parts that are um like the, the theme we mentioned colonialism right like yeah you know these people have been subjugated over the centuries yeah. to basically like their eyes are fully blue there's no whites in their eyes because they're like living under the sand right, right, right. And they've, they've grown accustomed to drinking like a thim- losing like a thimble full of water a day yeah and barely drinking anything. drinking on their own sweat and drinking yeah. on like their urine and yeah, yeah. spit and all that stuff yeah um and i think i think this movie in 2021 it's probably a bit there's probably a bit more attention paid to the toll that like a story like that would take where like these white people are coming into a society that's non-white and like what that you know implies italicized like implies yeah. means kind of thing so yeah. um i'm interested to see what part two holds in that regard because that's i think more or less where you're going to see the conflicts for paul becoming the like leader of a group of yeah. indigenous people yeah as a like a you know just like a white person right because there, I mean, yeah. there's definitely white savior aspects to this story yeah i mean no it's it's a central theme honestly like it's it is that is the story um so i can i'm already like thinking about the the criticisms of part two um coming out about stuff like that which is fair i mean you know that story has been told countless times but it is it is this story it was told in the 60s where that was like sort of the norm um and it's a fair criticism so it's like not anything you can sort of dance around you just sort of have to either own it or like change it entirely i'm just saying because it's 2021 and it's going to come out in 2023 second part like they're there's probably more um, momentum for a storyteller to get that kind of stuff right than there was in 1984. For sure. Where it's just like, okay, we gotta, we gotta move on. We, it's like, it's enough that we say this or that he's just this like Masonic figure. That's enough. We will just move on. There, I think there's yeah. more, there's more delicate like interplay. Yeah. That exists in real life if this were to happen. Mm-hmm. God forbid. Right, right. <laughs> um, that I think someone might like care more about yeah in this movie if that makes sense yeah no it, it makes sense i just you know it, it'll be something that, it'll, that part two will have to tackle um i don't know how i have no idea how the hell they would do that but um yeah anyways well, so I, I thought this was successful yeah i was gonna ask you sorry <laughs> i did I, I thought it was successful um i think if I, the way to grade that for me is just like if you love this book would you also love this movie i think the answer is probably yes mm-hmm. because you get a lot of the stuff that you wanted and you just to understand that you're not going to get everything. Right. 
that you wanted but i think it's enough and i I, we've we've talked before about like would this be better as a a A series or whatever i think we were right about watchmen because that watchmen series was cool it was cool yeah um this almost had nothing to do with the graphic novel though that's fair but they reimagined it right yeah that's that's a reimagined i do think this if you are a fan of dune you would watch this movie and be like that's dune you know yeah i think so too um so did, did you like the movie I assume. I did, yeah. very much. Um, but I wanted to take the time here to talk about casting. We oh, did, okay. We did this uh, in Big Sur, right, where we talked about who we could be like for um, Neil Cassidy. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here, we've both seen 1984, we've both seen 2021, Paul Atreides. Do you like Kyle McLaughlin? <laughs> who's kind of like this colder, older yeah. dude. And Young versus man, like kinda. Timothy Chalamet, who is... The boy child, or like a which is what the novel. Child. I mean, the novel in the novel, he's fifteen. Yeah. He's a boy child. He's smart. Yeah, but he's also deadly. So, it's a hard thing to play, as mentioned. Do you, who did you who did you prefer? Definitely Chalamet. Um, I don't know. I, I hadn't really thought about McLaughlin that much, and I just like the movie was so like bizarre, bizarre that I was sort of distracted by all the other things going on. But, I mean, I thought Chalamet was really good. I mean, it's funny, like, the fighting scenes that he had with um, uh, Josh Brolin, mm-hmm. right? He wears his, like, baggy outfit to sort of, like, to, to distract from his, like, skinniness. Yeah. Right? Which I thought was interesting. Um, no, but I thought he's, I mean, obviously he's a great actor, and he, he I thought he did really well in it. But I, I sort of think it makes sense he can sort of play a 15-year-old. I don't know. I think he's like twenty something, like twenty two, twenty three, or whatever. But, um, no, I would, I would, I would say Shalmay definitely better than Holland though, for sure. Holland would have been garbage, I think. No yeah. offense, you know, Tom Holland, come on the pod anytime. Tom Holland does have the physicality, definitely. Um, but it's, I don't know. It's it is interesting because it sort of is like a Spider Man character where it's like you're a child, but also you're an Avenger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that is, it's like the YA fantasy version of it. Yeah. Where it's like, I am the person that has to save right. the world from adults, but also I'm, my body is childlike. Mm-hmm. So phys- the physicality is going to be difficult. Yeah. To overcome there. Yeah. I That's... do like, I do like Timothy quite a bit. I think he's a much, the acting, I think his performance was much better than Kyle McLaughlin. Yeah. I think he did a really good job at like being the, being a character who didn't really want all this burden, all this like he doesn't when he didn't want really want the the burden of being a messiah. He went, he didn't really he kind of shrugged all that stuff off. That I thought was really good. Um, it sort of made sense. So yeah, shout out to Shalomay. Yeah, he's good. Who who has him in our fantasy league? Uh, it's a great question. I don't know. Do you have him? I don't. I don't think I. I think maybe Corey. One day we'll talk about like Corey our, guy. our fantasy league. Um, yeah, maybe we'll do a podcast. We can get Charlie back in the United States and. Corey away from his uh, PT school. Yeah. Have a little podcast about it. Um, but yeah, I liked Timmy. Yeah, no, he was good. But what about, um, are there any others that like you didn't like or thought were really good? I mean, Oscar Isaac is great. Yeah. Right? Like, everything he does is, is just good. Yeah, it's kind but of funny. I like Rebecca Ferguson as well. He is a he is a leading man who does not do leading man movies. Did you not watch the Cow Corner? Cow, no. The Card that... Counter? <laughs> yeah, I can't even fucking say uh... it. No, that, that trailer looked pretty garbage, so I passed. So I'm sure it was good, though. It was well-received, right? I picked up Oscar Isaac in our league last year, actually. I dropped Mahershala, 
to pick up for, yeah, Oscar well, Isaac. So I, I was actually all in on the card counter because I saw that, you know, Gold Derby did. I was like, oh, card counter number one for best picture. How long ago was that? Fell out. Yeah, of course I'm dead. Yeah. So I could have told you bad, that. bad, bad bet by me. <laughs> um, that's okay. We'll bounce back. He's a good actor though. He, he's really good. Rebecca Ferguson, I thought was really good. Although I think like, obviously her, her character was different than the book. I thought she like handled it really well. We didn't really talk about Duncan Idaho all that much. He, I'm not a big Jason Momoa guy. I'll be honest. Got a, he's got a weird name that stands out. Um, he's a big like physical actor. I thought he was great in Game of Thrones. Like that shit was, that was I think his peak. Like when he killed that, the Night King. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> shit was falling. <laughs> uh, yeah, he he. I feel like he's just playing himself in this movie kind of. Yeah, like, where he's like a big tough guy who can crack jokes. Yeah, he would be perfect sure. as like. Arnold Schwarzenegger or Sylvester Stallone yeah. in the 1980s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what Jason Momoa was born to be. Mm-hmm. I think just like this funny, badass. Yeah. Kill a dude. Guy but also like say funny stuff. Yeah. Like a good guy. It's kind of what Aquaman is, honestly. Maybe Bruce Willis. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He could be in Die Hard. I just he, like... He might be too big. Like, I think the problem with a lot of our actors today is that they're just too big. Yeah. Like The Rock. Like... He's just massive. You can't even fit him in the frame. Yeah. You gotta have a wide lens. Yeah, this was the thing. That, uh, yeah, uh, it's always talking about like Michael B. Jordan now. Like Michael B. Jordan is so cut, but like he's playing a lawyer. Like yeah, you know, no lawyer is that like fit. Yeah. You, gotta, you gotta like read, dude. You can't be like working out all the time. He's not committed to the role. Yeah, Christian so Bale would fucking put on that weight. That's true. Yeah, so it's interesting. Like all these dudes are just ripped now, and yeah. you have to play like normal people. Even like uh, Kum- Kumail, right? Nanjiani. Yeah, he's ripped now. Yeah, I watched the trailer the other day. He's heard it wasn't very good. Huh? Chloe Zhao. Yeah. One and done. Yeah. Her th- <laughs> that's a big, big, that's her third movie. Is it really? The Eternal. Yeah. That's a, it's or, a big like, movie Eternals. to do. Yeah. After Nomadland, it's like pretty dramatic. Like, yeah. She probably doesn't know how to work with actors because she's always working with like non-actors. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't know how to. Yeah, like Frances McDormand. Doesn't know how to direct. Non-actor. Well, McDormand doesn't need any direction. That's true. She does her own direction. <laughs> um, okay. Um, hot takes. Hot takes. So you go first. Uh, my hot take is that I think I could ride a worm. I think I a could, worm that big. I think I could clip onto it, no harness. I First could, try. Yeah, without without using spice, right? Like, I think my core is strong enough. Do you do rock climbing or anything? The, the, no, but I could. They're like twenty feet high. Well, I, you know, someone would have to get me on there, but I could ride it. Okay, but okay, so you would. All right, fine. <laughs> yeah, it's like being on top of a moving train. You know, people bite on that stuff all the time. Yeah, but you got to get on the moving train. You got to jump from a. How, how do you? Oh, I, I could fall from a dune. You know. Oh, maybe. I'd slide down. Yeah, you actually maybe. You can maybe do that. And I clip on. You know, people fight on trains without clips, but I would be on a worm with clips. I disagree. Problem is, you know, but worms don't typically travel above the surface, and yeah. we're relying on them to travel above. But if the worm goes under the sand, I'm probably fucked. Yeah, you're you're you would die if you went ten feet under sand. Which they go crushed. much deeper. You'd be crushed. You yeah. wouldn't be able to dive out or, you know, crawl out. Maybe with your great core that you mentioned. <laughs> Maybe you could. <laughs> anyway, I think I could do it. Maybe we'll see. My hot take is I think Dune is going to have double digit Academy Award nominations and it's going to have five wins. That's a big number. Yeah. I think That's this a lot. is. Did you go through the. I did. So I don't. I think it'll win for obviously uh, like special effects. Um, sound design, um, it's like all the below the line. Yeah, like the, the costume, um, and then I think 
I think, uh, like those ones. There was no big ones. I think it'll be nominated for like director, maybe an actor. Director might be hard because it's only five spots, right? Yeah, I think definitely, I mean, probably, probably picture, picture. Yeah, and adaptation maybe. It's not listed on their time, but I'm I'm going on a limb. I'm saying double digit because it's the, this is the blockbuster movie, that was well received. Yes. Wasn't there one recently was like that that won or there was nominated for a bunch. Like, like a Marvel movie, like yeah. Black Panther got a best picture. Yeah, there. Black Panther, like that was the one that. Yeah. So I'm sort of comparing it to that, and we've been so, desperately wanting a big blockbuster since COVID, right? So. Yes. I, th- I think there's probably something to be said for having a movie in the best picture race that actually made money yeah. in a COVID, yeah. in a time of COVID. Because you want people to watch the Oscars, right? So Yeah, which nobody did last year. Yeah. You know, I would like to start a movement where we um, devalidate, delegitimize any adapted nominee that is adapted from another movie and not from like a like a work of fiction or a work Correct. of nonfiction. Yeah. Anything, it needs to be from a written source. Not a screenplay. Right, right, right. You can't adapt a screenplay into right. another screenplay. Yeah. I agree. So I'm all, I'm all, I'm all on the strength. This was like the the, the Borat shit the is Borat garbage. Shit. Garbage. Um, yes. You hear us, Academy? So I like to point everyone to this movie, Coda. Probably a fine film. Uh, C O D A, Child of Deaf Adults, but mm-hmm. uh, it's being positioned as an adapted screenplay because it's based on a 2014 movie. Oh, it is. Okay. Like a, it's. Uh, a European movie, I think. What? So was Whiplash adapted screenplay? Do you I think it? so, probably. Because that was based on the short. On the short, yeah. Fucking a, dude. So, yes. Um, we should we should create a petition, a letter, uh, addressed to the Academy of Arts and Sciences, right? Yeah. And say this is fucking bullshit. And we're gonna have everybody sign it. You have to write it though, because you're the writer. That's fine. So. Yeah, I, I just it. think it's I think it's silly when you're you are quote unquote adapting a, a movie. Yeah, I mean, fucking uh, Mank should be a, an adapted screenplay then because it's based on Citizen Kane. Yeah, like what the fuck? So it's just all politics, basically, right? Like, oh, I think I can rank in yeah. best adapted, right? Not best original. It's dumb. So I'd just like everyone to to consider that as they uh, go through their Oscar season. This just year. yeah, just agree with us. Yes. So move your book. Uh, movie. I'm going movie. I think they did a great job. I'm excited for part two. October 2023. Amen. Let the spice flow. Let the spice flow. Fear is the mind killer. That's That's it. That's it. I said book and movie. I think think this may be the only time I've done this, just because they're both so good. Everyone gets one. Everyone gets one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is it. This is it. And then what are you going to remember most? Uh, Probably Oscar Isaac's just launched campaign to be people's sexiest man based on this movie <laughs> it yeah. just launched he launched it by being in this movie i right? see like the beard the beard is great they're like curly hair yeah the jackets everyone loves a jacket yeah. should have been duke leto for halloween fuck Who i don't that? have the beer no I have the beard though yeah it's the costume is in the beard yeah right? you're right um yeah he does look good that's it you know that and like i would like to frame some of the shots and put them like Ooh, above my mantle i like that idea. Or on my mantle above my fireplace like that a lot. Yeah. Beautiful. Denny Villeneuve does beautiful work. Yeah. Always. Well, he always hires the like, best some of the best cinematographers. But, you know, he he still does it. Yeah. He, yeah. He's <laughs> the one. Give him the credit. Um, I love the eerie sound and music of the movie. I remember the, the first scene, or not even the first scene, the first, like, opening shot or whatever with the... The first thing that we are introduced to is, like, a s- sound of a worm. 
is fucking weird and crazy. Yeah. I just love that. I think um, they invented... This is, like, going around TikTok. But I think the they invented new instruments for the this movie? warrior. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Holy shit. That's it's, a good TikTok. It's a real, it's a real fucking movie, though. <laughs> and then I also... So you could get a Best Score nomination as well. Sorry to cut you off. No, you're Oscars. good. Yeah, well, I, that's... I already said that, so it's already, like... Yeah. I'm just helping you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, I also want to say the Ben Jesuit, because they're creepy as fuck. Yeah. Also, the, the music around the Ben Jesuit was creepy, so... Yes. Yeah. yeah. I am looking forward to that show. Yeah, the show's going to be dope. Um, and before we sign off, um, make sure to check out our most recent episode on Big Sur. Um, and then keep an eye out for our next episode, uh, which we're not totally sure yet, but we're, our next season is going to be on Oscar bait, like we mentioned at the beginning of the episode today. So we're going to be uh, put out on Twitter and Instagram uh, maybe in the next coming weeks, like what we're doing. So you guys can, if you want, read along and watch along um, and comment along. So um, before we sign off, are there any shout outs? Shout out Rebecca Ferguson. For, Shout out uh, Rebecca Ferguson. You know, deciding that you want a boy and ruining <laughs> potentially all the great houses of uh, this Doom world. Yeah, I don't know. good for you. I mean, she she took her shot and she hit it right. Yeah. So it's a big, it's a big, big of true. Big. If he's if he's actually the Messiah, it's big, big of true. true. <laughs> so she was also in Mission Impossible Seven, and Men in Black International, Doctor Sleep, Mission Impossible Fallout. The Greatest Showman, The Girl on the Train. Greatest She's not showman. really in like. I've seen, I've seen The Greatest Showman. That's it though. Yeah, but big if true. So. She's coming. She's coming. Twenty twenty one is. She's here. she's here. She's here. She's arrived. All right. See you guys next time. Bye. Remove your hand from the box, and you die. Oh, what's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the fucking box? Pain. No!